Last week's parsha, for those that may or may not remember, began with Moshe commanding Aharon, Behalotcha et Hanerot. Lift up or erect or light the candles. That was from Bami Bar chapter 8, verse 2. So he was to light the menorah. Now, according to the rabbis, they saw this activity as a reflection of lighting the Shabbat candles and the Hanukkah candles in the homes. That's how that tradition kind of evolved. The mitzvah of lighting Shabbat candles has always been symbolic. It's one that goes far beyond this commandment that Moshe gave to Aharon. For many families, even today, it's, the strongest, it, it's one of the strongest links to their faith and their tradition. From the perspective of the Shulchan Aruch, which is Jewish law, just how important are the Shabbat candles, the Shabbat lights? Here's what it says. Both men and women are required to have a lamp lit in their home on Shabbat. Even if no one has food to eat, one should go begging in order to purchase oil for, to light the flame, as this is included in the commandment of delighting in Shabbat. So even if you don't have food, they say, go out and get the oil so that you can at least have your Shabbat lights. Later commentaries to the, the Shulchan Aruch answers some questions, or actually ask questions about that whole thought that the rabbis came up with. One of them was, how could one place a rabbinic mitzvah of lighting candles on such a high level? And the other normal question is, how could Shabbat candles take precedence over buying food? Well, they explain it. They say the reason is because throughout the history, the light of Shabbat candles have represented hope. There are stories of Anusim, which are Jews that were forced to hide their Judaism for various reasons, persecution, you name it. But they still kept the practice of lighting Shabbat candles. Spiritually speaking, after a dark week, Shabbat comes and the candles represent the promise and hope that things will be okay. I've talked about it before. It's, uh, I was taught this way, and it's not necessarily a, an absolutely true example, but it, it makes, made sense to me. It's kind of like when Shabbat comes around. You take all your cares from the week, you set them aside, and you step out of that realm and into Shabbat. And you rest in the Shabbat. You enjoy the Shabbat. After Shabbat's over, well, you can pick up those burdens again and carry on with the next week. But at least you stepped out of that lunacy of the work week, that lunacy of the world we live in, and you came to a place of peace and rest. So that's what the Shabbat candles represent. The message from the Shulchan Aruch is that we can more easily live without food then we can live without hope. There's a story about a Holocaust survivor named Hugo Grin. 
And in the winter of 1944, he was with his father in the concentration camp uh, at uh, Liberos. And there was one cold night his father took him and some friends into a corner of the barracks. He announced that it was the eve of Hanukkah and took a homemade clay bowl. He then began to light a wick immersed in his precious but now melted ration of margarine. Before he could recite the blessing, Hugo looked at his father and protested, We need the food. We can't afford to waste it on a candle. His father looked at Hugo and then lit the lamp and responded with this. You and I have seen that it is impossible to live up to three weeks without food. We once lived almost three days without water, but you can't live at all without hope. So every time the woman lights the Shabbat candles, she doesn't just light candles. She prays and she hopes. This is why the custom that developed where a woman lights the candle actually for each one of her children. It's not a practice that's recorded in the Shulchan Aruch, but it's a tradition based on the idea that Shabbat candles, once again, are a prayer for hope. So from this, we get the understanding that on a weekly basis, the woman of the household has a responsibility to bring a message of hope into the home by virtue of her lighting the candles and praying. She fulfills this, and when we light the Shabbat candles, it represents our hope for our future. But hope by itself is not enough. Even hope needs support. Just like the candle needs oxygen, hope needs its equivalent. So what's the fuel that will strengthen the hope of the Shabbat candles? According to Rashi, here's what he said. Parshat Naso ended with a narrative of the princes, or the Nisa'im, bringing their sacrificial offerings as part of the dedication of Mishkan. That was toward the end of, the, of Naso. Parashat Baha'alotcha starts out with the mitzvah of Aharon being told to light the lamps of the menorah in the Mishkan. God said to Moshe, Daber al Aharon Baha'alotcha et Hanerot el mul penei hamenorah yairu shivat Hanerot. Speak to Aaron and say to him, When you light the lamps, the seven lamps shall cast their light toward the face. Of the menorah. So Rashi, being the rabbi he was and the philosopher that he was, he asked the question why is this commandment placed right next to the narrative of the Nesi'im, the princes? He says, when Aharon saw the dedication offerings of the Nesi'im, Chalsha da'auto. He felt distressed or depressed because he was not allowed to join them in that dedication. Not him or his tribe. But, it's, but Rashi goes on, he says, So God said to Aharon, By your life shall Chagadolah Mishalchem. Yours is greater than theirs. For you will light and prepare the lamps. Again, look at 
look at the parallel. We say that the Shabbat candles are our symbol of hope. So, Aharon being put in charge of lighting the menorah, he was in charge of bringing hope to the people. So, what Rashi was saying is that Aharon felt excluded from participating in a mitzvah. He wanted to be part of the dedication of the Mishkan, the tabernacle. But he didn't get that opportunity. He didn't get the chance to dedicate the altar. Only the Nesim were given that opportunity. So he felt sad. But God promises Aharon a different mitzvah, the mitzvah of lighting the menorah every day. Now, remember, the tribe of Levi was separated from the other tribes, set apart for religious service to the community. So Aharon didn't get to bring a gift of gold or silver. But according to the Midrash, he was consoled with the idea that the merit of his service was even greater. Other commentators even suggest that the menorah was assembled, lighted, and cleaned every day. So it was not a dramatic act of a great ceremony, but a quiet act of inner dedication and humble service. The dedication of the, ta- the tabernacle, the dedication of the altar, was a one-time thing. Aaron's given something that he's going to do every day. So there's a question that some commentaries ask about Rashi's explanation, and, and it's this. What kind of consolation prize is this for Aharon? Aharon wanted to be part of the dedication ceremony, which was a once-in-a-lifetime experience. It was an awesome moment, never to repeat, be repeated in history. And instead of that special moment, Aharon is told that you'll have a different opportunity to light the menorah. So they say, they ask, how is this a good answer? After all, Aharon didn't want to light the menorah. He wanted to dedicate the altar. So one rabbi, Ramban, also known as Nachmanides, answers the question by explaining that God is telling Aharon that the dedication of the altar was indeed a one-time event. But the mitzvah that Aharon will be engaged in of lighting the menorah will have eternal resonance because it would keep on going. What we do on Shabbat, when we light the candles, we are mimicking what Aharon did in the temple. So that activity continues even today. Ramban continues by saying, most prominently, it will appear in, in the time of Hanukkah when Aharon's descendants, the Hasmonean priests, will rededicate the Beit Hamikdash, the Holy Temple, and celebrate the miracle of the menorah, and thus forever become associated with the lighting of the menorah. So, in essence, he's saying every time that the menorah was lit, people remembered Aharon. He, they remembered his tribe. They remembered his people. Continuing on the tradition. Continue on a mitzvah. He goes on by quoting a midrash which says, God told Moshe to go to Aharon and say, you are designated for something of greater importance than this, namely the kindling of the menorah. For the sacrifices are only in effect as long as the temple stands. So as we know, the temple has been destroyed once again. It does not stand today. Therefore, those things aren't being done. But, the lighting of the menorah continues. 
The lights of the menorah are forever casting their light. So long after the temple will be destroyed, the light of the menorah and the Shabbat candles will continue to be kindled in people's homes. So what he's saying is that Aharon was disappointed that he wasn't more involved in the physical dedication ceremony, but God's response is that the menorah far surpasses the physical dedication ceremony. The menorah is an eternal involvement of a spiritual nature. For all eternity, the menorah will be a spiritual light. Now, our sages have always associated light with Torah study. So the rabbis say this, Light is Torah. The light of the menorah becomes the symbol of the Torah as we study it every day. The message to Aharon was that the light or the Torah will continue beyond everything else. Even after the physical structure of the temple is destroyed, even after the thousands of sacrifices that will quickly be forgotten, the light of the Torah that we study every day will be the strength and guide of God's people. Ultimately, it's the light of the Torah that is symbolized by the lighting of the Shabbat candles. Ultimately, it's the light of the Torah that is the basis for any hope and inspiration that we might receive. Side note, do the candles really give us hope? No. Symbolism. It's all about symbolism. As we light the candles, we remember what they represent. We remember they represent the light of the world, the Torah, Yeshua. So also remember that Aharon, as high priest, actually performed all kinds of important rituals. And he's a great leader among the Israelites. He even atones for the entire community on Yom Kippur. He's the one that went into the Holy of Holies where nobody else was permitted to go. So considering his prominent role in the life of Israel, the idea that simply lighting the lamps is of such importance, it should remind us that the small acts that benefit others can be more important to the religious life of the community than even gifts of gold. Maybe a modern-day example of this conversation between God and Aharon would be the person who feels like he's excluded from participating in the physical building of a synagogue. That person might feel that they weren't able to take part in the mitzvah of building and dedicating the synagogue. But what God's saying to Aharon is that the spiritual building of the synagogue is more, much more important and lasting than the physical building or dedication ceremony itself. You can look at it this way, too. So a beautiful synagogue or church is built, and you had a part in the building of it and the dedication of it, and I didn't have a part in that, but I was put in charge of keeping the lights burning. I was put in charge of keeping the menorah lit. So what happens when Someone comes along and says, uh, you know what, this is my land, and I don't want a synagogue on this land anymore, and takes it away. What lingers on? The building or the spiritual activity? What you hold in your spirit is what's going to last. You'll remember that building. You'll remember the things that went on in that building. 
But when I continue to light that menorah every week, you'll remember that God is with you no matter if the building is there or not. Even more important than the physical structure of the building is the Torah that is being studied inside the building. Think about those big, elaborate, and enormous synagogues or churches. Some of them are are actually state-of-the-art buildings. But inside, in the kishkas or in the bowels of that building, the synagogue is struggling, sometimes lifeless, because it's all about the building. It's not about the spirit that's in the building. And on the other hand, there are the smaller places, and congregations are alive and thriving without the luxury of the huge building. It's because what's in the building is what counts not the building itself. What's in the building is the Torah. What's in the building is the Spirit of God, the Ruach, HaKodesh. Without the Ruach, I don't care how big and how elaborate your building is, you have nothing. There was a story that's told by about Franz Rosenweg, who was one of the most important Jewish philosophers of the 20th century. Um, he grew up in a minimally observant Jewish home in Germany. He was convinced by his friends to convert to Christianity. And he was about to do it. But just before he converted, he stopped in for a prayer service in a small synagogue. And in that small space, he immediately remembered who he was and who he came from. He became repentant and and turned himself back toward his Jewish roots and never thought of leaving his tradition ever again. It was in that small synagogue. But the Spirit was moving in that small synagogue. And he saw the light. So this is the message to Aharon. The eternal path is the path of the menorah and not the path of the fanfare of the Nisa'im. The eternal path is the path of the light of studying Scripture. The broader message here is that even we need to prioritize our lives because sometimes we make the mistake that Aharon made. We misprioritize. Aharon was assuming that the fanfare of associating with the Nesaim ceremony was the greatest honor. This is what he wanted. But God reminded him that the lighting of the menorah was the eternal association that he should seek. Aharon naturally wanted to be part of the building and dedication ceremony. But God told him that there was an even more important task awaiting him. In other words, there is a community service that is even more important than the dedication of the altar. The spiritual mitzvah of lighting the candles is even greater than the contribution of the Nesaim. Once again, Shelcha Kedolah Mishalhem, yours is greater than theirs. How can we relate this eternal association and this spiritual mitzvah of lighting the candles? How can we relate to that? Well, Yeshua said in John chapter 9, we must do the work of the one who sent me. So as long as it is day, night is coming, when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
And in 1 John, John writes, Now this is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and keep walking in the darkness, we are lying and do not practice the truth. Verse 7, he says, But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son Yeshua purifies us from all sin. Paul writes to the Ephesians that, Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's judgment comes on the children of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For once you were darkness, but now in union with the Lord, you are light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Trying to learn what is pleasing to to the Lord. Take no part in the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is disgraceful even to mention the the things that are done by them in secret. Yet everything exposed by the light is being made visible. For everything made visible is light. This is why it says, Wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead, and Messiah will shine on you. So pay close attention to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise. Make the most of your time because the days are evil. For this reason, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And do not get drunk on wine, for that is reckless. Instead, be filled with the Ruach, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Yeshua the Messiah. Now, this is something that's familiar with everybody, most everybody here would be familiar with. I'm going to give you the blessings that are said at candle lighting. The traditional blessing goes like this. Baruch Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher kitshanu b'mitzvotah v'tivanu lehadlik ner shel Shabbat. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy through his commandments and commanded us to light the Sabbath candle, the Shabbat lights. That's a traditional blessing. And you could say, which oftentimes I hear it said, how can we pray that when we were never commanded to light the Shabbat candles? Well, this is true. But if you take the relational representation from Aharon being commanded to light the menorah, and if the rabbis have said that the candles become symbolic of that menorah, then you could take the stretch and say, yes, we're commanded. But this is the messianic blessing. Blessed are you, Adonai, our God, King of the universe, who has made us holy through his word and has given us Yeshua, our Messiah, and commanded us to be a light to the world. Matthew chapter 5, we read, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt should lose its flavor, how shall it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. 
Yeshua continues and says, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. Instead, they put it on a lampstand so that it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Yeshua is the light of the world. We're his ambassadors. We're to reflect his light. We hide him from our lives. We don't reflect light. We reflect darkness. So, according to the Midrash, God says to Aharon, not everybody can bring gifts of silver. But you have been given the task of bringing light into darkness. Literally and figuratively. Gifts to the Mishkan sustain this work. But don't lose sight of what the work actually is. Bringing light into darkness. Hope where there is despair. Compassion where there is alienation. And justice where there is cruelty. In Luke chapter 1 we read, To give knowledge of salvation to his people through removal of their sins. Through our God's heart of mercy, the sunrise from on high will come upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of shalom. So you can narrow that down and say that the purpose of the light is show us the way to go. Without light, we can't see where to go. In today's world and for us in our congregation, This might mean that the greatest contribution we can contribute to our community is increasing our Kesher, our connection to one another and to the community around us, and in studying Scripture. This is what Aharon is being told. The Nesaim's contributions are great, but the best way to live is through increasing our spiritual commitment. All the things, all the activities you can participate in really mean nothing if it's not by God's Spirit. His Spirit, His Ruach is what's important to drive all these things. The study of Scripture is like Aharon's command to light the menorah. It's a flame, it's the flame that is the core of our congregation. Without the study, of Scripture, our congregation would lose its identity. Even though our bodies, or while, our bodies can live without food, can't live without food. Eventually, you'd, become, you'd starve. But just like your bodies can't live without food, our neshamot, our souls, can't endure without the study of Scripture. Let me add to that. We, and this is just following up on what I've been talking about the last several weeks. We can stay in here all day long studying and discussing Scripture. But if it stays in these four walls, what good is it? We need to take it out. We need to take it with us and share it with others. Wouldn't it be great talking about studying Scripture? If you could increase your study by an hour a day, 
dare I say, two hours a day. And you take it to where you want to. I think it would be wonderful if we could increase our study time and do more, learn more, share more. Because, you know, we've, we've been hearing this for year after year after year that time is short. That's a relative statement, sure. But it is short. We, it may not happen in our time. It may happen in our time. It's all dependent on God. He's the ultimate judge. Ultimately, he comes back. He doesn't care if you're ready or not, really. Because if you're not, then you haven't done what you're supposed to do. We need to study to show ourselves approved unto God. Workmen that don't be ashamed, but we rightly divide the word of truth. Meaning rightly divide the word of truth. Study is very important. So the Shabbat candles, once again, represent hope. But the study of Scripture is the fuel of that hope. So we can light candles every Friday night from here until Yeshua comes. But what are we doing with the candles? What are we doing with that flame? What are we doing? Are we feeding that hope? Are we fueling that hope? Allowing the hope to grow? Once again, that hope grows by studying, studying. In conclusion, I like the way one rabbi said it. It is our commitment to the spiritual that it will enable all our lights in our lives to continue to burn strong. May it be so in this congregation. May it be so in all of our lives. May it be so in all of our gatherings. May it be so when we go out into the community and talk about him and talk about his salvation, his Yeshua. Talk about that light that Yeshua is and bring light into our community, to bring light to a dark world, to bring light to all God's people. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, we thank you and we bless you once again for your, your goodness, your grace. We thank you for your light, Yeshua, who illuminates all the darkness that surrounds us. And we pray for your Ruach to come upon us strongly and lead us as we go out into our community, as we go to our family, to our friends, our neighbors, and share of the light and truth of Yeshua. That we can be witnesses of you here where we are now. Not in Judea. We're not there, Lord. We pray that that happens there. We pray because we are in the uttermost parts of the world. And here in the uttermost parts, Lord, We pray for your Ruach to guide us as we speak to people, as we represent you, as we represent the light, as we light our menorah to shine upon people, let them see you through us. Not just by our words, but let them see us living those words. 
Let those words become such a part of us that nobody can ever look at us and say, you don't know what you're talking about because the Ruach will speak through us and speak for us and speak to us and speak about you. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your mercy once again. Thank you as you lead us and guide us this week in Yeshua's name. Amen.